Blog Talk Radio. Dixon on the saxophone. I believe there are many ways to worship. Amen. We worship with our words. We worship with our instruments. We can worship with our entire bodies. My only prayer is that it's pleasing to the Lord. That's our only prayer. Only prayer that pleases you. There ain't no for the hopeless sinner Who hurt all mankind Just to save his own Have pity on those, Lord Whose chances grow thinner There ain't no hiding place 
from the kingdom throne, yeah. So people get ready. There's a train coming. Don't need no baggage. Just get on board. All you need is faith to hear the diesel coming. Yeah. You don't need no ticket. You just I'm talking about worship. And right here is my good friend David Watson plays the flute as well as the saxophone. In fact, he considers himself more of a flute player even still than a sax player. At least that's what your old man said. This is your turn, man. Sing on to the Lord a new song. Get on board. You don't need no ticket, no, no. 
you were in Sunday school, you have heard these professors remind you of them both in words of warning as well as words of encouragement and maybe even a few testimonies. A counselor, a friend, a minister of music, whatever capacity you'll serve in on mission field or here at home, you'll use these two words. And they are trust God. Two single syllable words that you have heard forever but you will discover as time passes how difficult they are to obey. Trust God. Of course I have no way of knowing what the future holds for you. You may lose your home and everything in a fire. You may lose your spouse to an early disease, detected but not cured. You may lose your dreams, your hopes. You may lose a relationship that you have cultivated over the years. All losses are painful. And you will be brought back over and over again to the words of Proverbs chapter 3, verses 5 and 6. I know, I know, you memorized them in vacation Bible school or when you were growing up at the knee of a godly mother and or father. And your lips will move as I quote them, trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not to your own understanding in all your ways acknowledge him and he will make your paths straight all your heart all your ways trust trust Now, we have a problem with this because of several things. First of all, we are too blame self-sufficient. We have learned how to get ourselves out of jams rather than acknowledging the jam has very well been either directed or permitted by our sovereign God to teach us. And by not trusting Him... We short-circuit the test and go our own way, getting ourselves out of our own mess. We're too self-sufficient. Another reason we fail this test is because we're too quick to call on others. We have a lot of very capable friends. As life unfolds and you leave this school and you're involved in your church, your work of ministry, your realm of responsibility, you'll meet other people, many of them much smarter than you are, most of them richer than you are, 
better connected than you are. And some of them will become good friends. And they will become your crutch. They have connections. And when you're up against it, they will, they'll get you through it. Another reason we don't trust is because we feel distant from the God of heaven. Don't feel too guilty about that. So did Job, as godly as he was. And yet Job said, in the midst of all of the loss, though he slay me, I will trust in him. Though he take me off this earth in the process, I leave trusting him. I will trust him. The fourth reason I would name is that we have cultivated the bad habit of worry. Uh, many of you are much better at worrying than you are at trusting. If you were to put together a worry list, it would outrun your prayer list. And you're worried right now about something. Most likely, it's related to something about your schoolwork some course, some class, some test, or maybe your finances. You don't have enough money. I'll give you a word of encouragement. You'll never have enough money. So you're worried now. You're getting good at it so you can carry that with you when you graduate because you won't have enough money then. So you're worried about that. And you do not trust God. See how practical it is? And if you think you're going to outgrow the problem, take it from this old guy today, you won't ever outgrow it. It's like lust. You never outgrow lust. You just learn to fake it. I remember attending a navigator conference when Lawrence Sandy was president. We were at Glen Erie and they had a returned missionary, I think an 87, 88-year-old gentleman who um, uh, Lauren brought up to the platform, and he's a longtime navigator, and Lauren said, tell me, Dr. So-and-so, when did you conquer lust? The old man said, well, Lauren, hasn't happened yet. You'll never conquer worry. It's part of the flesh. You want to, but the only way you will get through it so that you will learn from the test is to trust, to trust. To put the worry on hold, to set it aside, deliberately shoving it away and saying, God, at this moment, I rest in you and you alone. If you're married, God help my spouse and me to trust you. To lean on you, to wait on you, to listen to you, to endure the test with you. I put together a quick list of things that reveal how little we trust. 
When you choose to to worry, you do not trust. When you try to fix what is impossible, you do not trust. When you hurry ahead and don't wait for the Lord to to move and to change, you, you do not trust. When you lie awake, twisting and turning at night, you do not trust. When you doubt biblical principles and promises that are right here in the book you love and study, you do not trust. When you turn to others first for help, you do not trust. When you listen to human counsel and give a higher priority to that, then the principles you have just learned you do not trust. When you manipulate and maneuver situations, you do not trust. When you step in and take charge without praying and being led by the Spirit of God, you do not trust. When you cling to others in order to feel secure and needed and loved, you do not trust. The list goes on and on. See how easy it is to live in the flesh? How easy it is to disobey trust in the Lord with all your heart? Wouldn't it be a great project over the Christmas season this year to think through ways that you can begin to trust God regardless? Hopefully it'll be a project that you and a good friend or you and your mate can enter together. What is it we do that keep us from trusting God? And how can we break that habit and watch God break through in ways that we would never have expected? Cynthia and I have a longtime friend who was raised with four brothers in southwest Texas. They were raised on a very poor uh, ranch. They eked out a living. One of the brothers wound up getting into Baylor, going on to UCLA Law School, and earning his degree in law, and has since become a very fine attorney in the Southern California area. We've been friends since the mid-1970s. One of his four brothers stayed at the ranch and developed it, cultivated it. The other brothers moved away, as did our friend. And the one who stayed, along with his wife, really turned the ranch into something much more successful. Grew crops that worked, got cattle, bred them, sold them. Little by little, kind of got on their feet and finally became pretty much financially stable. Then the fires of 2011 across Texas swept through their area. And they came to that ranch. By now they knew they would lose all all the cattle. They simply opened the gate and amazingly those animals know where to go. Usually know where to go to find shelter and safety. And they fled. Hundreds of them and they barely left, unable to get anything, much of anything in their 
pickup and they drove away. Came back a number of days later when allowed to enter this territory and uh, everything was melted. Everything. Even the metal roof on the shed, on the barn, had melted down and sort of peeled its way over and, and what it landed on, it kind of was the, that metal profile. It's everything is lost. All possessions, all pictures, thankfully no lives. Strangely, the cattle got back and were clustered around in a herd around an enormous oak tree and they were able to, to get them back. Of course, the fence had burned so that has to be rebuilt. And they said to one another, we realize at that moment our faith would either kick into action or we would move far away from the God we had loved and served. They chose the former. They determined they would rebuild. They're in the process right now. Living with a brother, putting house and home back together, having lost it all. And the Lord taught me through my shameful response. He'll win this battle. Trust Him. Trust me. Trust God. Just to rest upon His promises. Just to know. Thus saith the Lord, trust God. You know, back in the day when we used to have testimony service, my mama would stand up on her feet and she'd throw her head back and sing songs like this. She said, How I got a
one-year-old nephew, Tim Bowman Jr. He's gonna show us how to sing it in the 21st century. Kimmy, how would you say? I said, Scott Babbity, that's how I made it over. Scott Babbity, that's how I made it over. Scott Babbity, that's how I made it over. unchanged in the rest of Europe. The United States reported its first death from the novel coronavirus March 1st, 2020. There were no closures. We didn't have to wear masks. And most people would not have been able to identify Dr. Fauci in a police lineup. But by the end of March 2020, we were in the after of coronavirus. The whole world shut down because a virus one four hundredth of an inch of a human hand. you one more time. A virus, one four hundredth the width of the size of a human hair, stopped the entire earth that weighs 13 billion trillion tons. When the virus hit, Amazon took the store and brought it to our front door. Netflix took the movies and brought it to our living room. Teladoc and telemedicine is adding thousands of doctors to its network. Grocery stores have moved quickly to curbside service. 
while Neiman Marcus, J. Crew, J. C. Penney, and Brooks Brothers, Hertz and Advantage Rental Cars, Lord and Taylor, True Religion, Ann Taylor, Lane Bryant, and Men's Warehouse have either resorted to online sales or have filed for bankruptcy protection. Zoom calls and working from home is the new normal. Even with the warped speed discovery of vaccines and boosters, getting back to pre-pandemic status is slow and unpredictable, especially when it comes to the church. Because it seems like our vaccine works at Walmart, our vaccine works at Target, Somebody ought to help me preach here. Our vaccine works at Vic and Anthony's. Our vaccine works at Papa Do's. But when it comes to the church, I got to be careful. The pandemic's primary effect has been to accelerate dynamics already present 10 years into the future. The primary effect of the pandemic has been to accelerate dynamics in society already present 10 years into the future. If your church had a weak balance sheet pre-pandemic, post-pandemic, you're about to close down. If you and your spouse were going through a rough spot pre-pandemic, post-pandemic, you can't stand each other. Home Depot and Lowe's are reaping huge benefits because people are tackling much needed and often neglected home improvements. We have painted, resurfaced, put up, taken down, remodeled, and restained kitchens, bathrooms, bedrooms, closets, cabinets, and decor. But the question is not what have we done, but what have we become? Your closet is organized, but what about your soul? Your kitchen is redone, but what about your attitude? You replace your carpet, what about replacing your pride? I wish I had two or three more witnesses here. If you have not done everything you wanted or accomplished everything you should have, Jesus Christ helps us to face the music even when we don't like the tune. <laughs> Phillips Brooks, Phillips Brooks, who is famous for saying preaching is truth through personality. 
Phillips Brooks says that our past, the best use of our past is to get a greater future out of it. The best use of our past is to get a greater future out of it. The way I look at it, brothers and sisters, this pandemic, you can either run from it or learn from it. God has sent the crest of a wave for the church to ride on, and if we miss it, we're going to be left behind because this is not God's first pandemic. God was there when the Red Sea turned and the people of Israel walked over on dry ground. God was there when the frogs and the lice and the darkness fell over Egypt. God was there when the firstborn Egyptians died and the children of Israel in Goshen had light on one side and darkness on the other side. This is not God's first rodeo. And those of us who are scared of what's going to happen tomorrow, I know who's bringing tomorrow. I know who is on my side. I know who's made a way for me in the past. And the God who brought me 20 years ago is still able to bring me this morning. The psalmist said, if it had not been, I wish I had two or three more witnesses. For the Lord who was on my side. My steps had almost gone. My feet had well nigh slipped when I saw how the wicked prospered and the righteous suffered. But I went into the sanctuary. And brothers and sisters, there's something about coming to church this morning. When the world is falling apart, God will put your life back together again. Is there anybody here ever been through some storms in your life and God delivered you when it looked like your back was up against the wall? God provided enough space. For you to get to church on Sunday morning and help me declare trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding, but in all your ways. Come on, you can help me say it. Acknowledge him, and he shall direct your path. You want another one? Blessed is the man that walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful. His delight is in the law of the Lord. And in that law doth he meditate both day and night. And he shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that brings forth fruit in his season. His leaf also shall not wither. And whatsoever he doeth shall prosper. I got another one. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for God is with me. 
You want another one? The steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord. Have I got a witness here? The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the strength of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? You want another one? I've been young, and now I'm old, and I've never seen the righteous forsaken, nor his seed begging for bread. God will make a way for you. I said God will make a way for you. God will dry tears from your eyes. God will keep you till your hair turns. Is there anybody here know he's a keeper? Come on, why don't you look at somebody? You don't have to touch him. Just tell him God is a keeper. Stop letting the devil make you afraid of God. Stop letting the devil tell you everything is falling apart. Don't you waste this pandemic. Rise. Shine. Give God the glory. For the children of Israel, For the children of Israel, I want you to get this. The wilderness for the children of Israel and for the sensitive ones of us in here this morning, the wilderness for them and for us is a schoolhouse. God has done for us in two years what it took him 40 years to do for Israel. The COVID-19 pandemic has been a wilderness experience of affliction, bereavement, disappointment, and perplexity. But God, I said, but God, has already anticipated. God has already disposed of. God has already adjusted. God has already ruled. God has already super ruled so that some people went through a divorce in a pandemic and you're still in your house. Some people lost their job and you're still working. Some folk lost their lives and you're not here this morning because you're wearing a mask. There's some folk who wore a mask who are in that grave. God kept you. Keep you. Keep your hands sanitizer with you. But the scripture says, he that had clean hands and a pure heart who has not lifted up his soul under vanity nor sworn deceitfully, he shall receive blessings from the Lord. 
and righteousness from the God of his salvation. This is the generation of them that seek your face, O Jacob. Wear your mask if you want to, because you need to, because the numbers are going up. But behind that mask, don't be a hypocrite too. Because God can see behind that mask. God knows that you're acting like you're happy to see somebody, but behind that mask you can't stand them. You think God is not able to see the frown in your heart because of the mask on your face? He's already went into your situation so that you can taste his love, keep his law, reflect his beauty, and if you are awake, you're getting ready for the next thing he wants to accomplish. Now, in the first four chapters of Deuteronomy, Moses recounts Israel's history with Yahweh. In chapter 5, he recites the Ten Commandments. In chapter 6, he recites the Jewish Shema. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. And thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thine heart and with all thy soul and with all thy might. In chapter 7, Moses begins to prepare the people for the day when they will enter the promised land which brings us to chapter 8 with a call to remember the purpose of the hardships of the past are preparation for the blessings of the future. The, 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 the purpose of the hardships of the past are preparation for the blessings of the future. In other words, if you don't know anything about hardship, you have no appreciation for blessing. If you haven't fallen down, you're not thankful for standing up. And the reason some of us shout so loud is because we've fallen down many times. And the Lord does not come by and criticize us for falling and talk about us for falling. He just gets in the ditch with us, picks us up and puts us back on our feet again. And we are in this church this morning not because we are perfect, but because we've been forgiven. I, I want you to see, I want you to see in verse 2 and 3 as I hurry. In verse 2 and 3, he, he, he led them. Remember the long way that the Lord your God has led you these 40 years in the wilderness in order to humble you, testing you to know what was in your heart, whether or not you would keep his commandments. He humbled you by making you hungry, then by feeding you with manna, which neither you nor your ancestors had ever seen before. In order to make you understand that man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. 
Maimonides. Maimonides, one of the most prolific and influential Torah scholars of the Middle Ages, whose writings hold a prominent figure in uh, Jewish intellectual history. Maimonides found it problematic that God would test Israel in order to learn something, which by implication meant that God did not know. God did not know something. I, I struggled with that in, in preparation for this message because I have no problem with God's omnipotence. I have no problem with God's omnipresence. But, but I have to study and research and dig into God's omniscience because God, when he dealt with Abraham, and Abraham was about to come down with, with his knife to kill Isaac, God sent an angel to stop him from killing Isaac, and God said, Abraham, don't, don't hurt the child because now I know. And for God to say, now I know, suggests in my mind that there was something God did not know. And I know that there's nothing God cannot not know because God is omniscient and he knows everything. But I think what I'm trying to get at is although God knows everything, God doesn't force everything. God knows my actions, but God does not dictate my actions. God's foreknowledge is God knows where I'm going to be eating lunch after I leave here, but he don't make me go to Carabas. Because he has given me free will. And so God cannot make me love him. God cannot force me to come to church. God knows I'm going to be up here preaching on Sunday morning, but he doesn't make me get up, but God knows it because of our relationship. Somebody ought to help me preach it. God knew that Job would pass the test because he told Satan, go try Job since you ain't got nothing to do. And he said, he's serving you because you got a fence around him. Move the hedge and I'll make him curse you to your face. He sent Satan back because, listen, God will never send you a test you can't pass. Somebody ought to help me shout here. And, and then God will send you a test that's open book. And you got to be kind of slow to fail an open book test. The answers are in the book. I wish I had a witness here. God says to the children of Israel, I am going to send hardship. Here it is. To humble you. Hardship is to humble you. We parents make mistakes with our children when we let them have it too easy. They don't have any hardship. They don't know anything about 
struggle. They don't know anything about doing without. Christmas means nothing to our children because they get everything they want right now. Talk back to me if you can. I grew up in a time when there were no sippy cups at church. You, you didn't bring your coloring book and your doll. You, you, you didn't bring your iPad and your earphones. I grew up in a time when my mama said, sit down and don't move. And she was singing in the choir, and somehow she could see way in the back of the sanctuary. Somebody ought to help me preach it. Because they made us do what was right, whether we wanted to do it or not. They made us learn the value of a hard day's work. Parents have to discipline children. Foolishness is bound up in them. But the route of correction will drive it far from them. In the military, some of you have served in the armed forces. In the military, you don't get up when you want. You don't decide what, what direction you're going to march in. They tell you how to march. They cut your hair as soon as you get there to make you know you ain't running nothing here. They decide when you eat, what time you eat. They decide what you eat because there has to be a, a, a modicum of discipline or else lives are lost. God brought them through the wilderness 40 years. God brought us through this pandemic two years to humble us. Because some of us have gotten so top-heavy. Some of us have gotten so beside ourselves. And I'm talking about churches. I'm talking about communities. I'm talking about everything that happens in the world. God said, you build these gigantic churches. You don't go to them anyway, so I'm going to shut them down. God says, uh, football and basketball and baseball has become your religion and these stadiums are your sanctuaries so I'm going to close that down. God said you love money so much I'm going to shut Wall Street down. God said you want to go play golf and you want to go out to Galveston to the beach party on Sundays instead of coming to church I'm going to shut the whole world down. What you going to do now? He had to humble us. I wish I had a witness here. God had to humble us. If my people, which are called by my name, shall humble themselves and pray and seek my faith and turn from their wicked way, then will I hear from heaven, forgive their sins, and heal their land. Not only did he humble them, but he had to prove them. That word prove means he had to put them to the test. It's like a, a car manufacturer, a, a car manufacturer, GM or Mercedes, a car manufacturer 
uh, has these car tests where they run cars into the wall uh, to see the durability of the bumper, to see if the airbags are going to work, to see if how they designed it is going to work in a crash. God sent a crash in 2020 to see if our airbags are working. To see if our fender is going to fold in the pandemic. I wish I had somebody to help me preach it. And some of us have failed the test because God tried to get you to see that just like he provided pre-pandemic, he's able to provide post-pandemic. He led them. But then he fed them. He fed them. During the pandemic when it first started, people were going crazy over toilet tissue. I guess there was a lot of eating going on. I, I ain't trying to get into that. Because you know I can get into that. But people were knocking each other down for toilet paper. Then you couldn't find hand sanitizer. And then you couldn't find bleach. And then you couldn't find Lysol. Then a couple of days ago, baby formula was missing. And all kinds of shortage because of supply chain shortages. But I thank God this morning that with God and in heaven, there is no supply chain shortage. Can I help somebody right here? The scripture says, God made them hungry so he could provide something for them to eat. He made them hungry so he could provide. He made them hungry so he could provide. He made them hungry so he could provide. Watch this, watch this, watch this. I, I've been waiting to get to this part since, 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 since Wednesday. That word manna in the text is a word we use all the time and don't know where it came from. The word manna in the... You, you ain't going to believe it when I tell you what the word means. The word manna in the book of Exodus, the word manna in Deuteronomy literally means, you ready? Whatchamacallit. They looked on the ground and saw some whatchamacallit. Because they had never seen anything like that before. And all they could say is, what 
man is this? Somebody's going to get it in just a minute. They couldn't understand it. They'd never seen it before. And listen, God made them hungry so he could feed them. And he said, take just what you need for today. Because if you take more than you need, worms are going to get in it. It will spoil because now you're being greedy. You don't think I know how to provide for your needs? I've been waking you up every day for the last 80 years, and you think I ain't got paper towels? I've been making a way for you for the last 43 years, and you don't think I can protect you now? I will keep him in perfect peace, whose mind is stayed on me. They went everywhere picking up what you call it. Literally, what man is this? He led them. He fed them. And he bred them. B R E A D. B B R E A D. B R E A D. Not bread like you bred cattle. He bred them like he provided. Man. Uh. Man. Man, uh, what man uh, of man is this? The same manner that fell in the wilderness is the same manner that came from heaven. Because when they met Jesus, they'd never seen a man like this before. They'd never seen a man like Jesus before. Because Jesus was not the bread that was on the ground. He was the bread that fell down from heaven. And in the midst of their wilderness... He became bread for them. I'm through. I said I'm through. But I'm glad this morning that I know what manner of man is this. He was on a little boat one night and a storm blew up and he was asleep in the hinder part of the ship. And somebody had the good sense to wake him up and say to him, don't you care that we are about to perish? He stood on board that little boat and waved his hand and said, peace, be still. 
and there was a great calm. And then the disciples looked at one another and said, What manner of man is this? That even the wind and the sea obey him. One night Jesus told them to go to the other side. And he went on in the mountains apart to pray. And about four o'clock in the morning, he came walking on the water. And Peter said, Lord, if that's you, bid me to come on the water also. Jesus said to Peter to come on and walk with me on the water. And as long as he kept his eyes on Jesus, he was able to walk on water. But the moment he took his eyes off Jesus, he began to sink. And the reason why I'm not going to waste this pandemic, I'm going to keep my eyes on Jesus. And as long as I keep my eyes on Jesus, I don't care what the stock market is doing. As long as my eyes are on Jesus, I don't care what Wall Street is doing. As long as my eyes are on Jesus, I don't care what they run out of at HEB. As long as my eyes are on Jesus, I don't care who likes me or who does not like me. As long as I keep my eyes on Jesus, storm clouds may rise. Strong winds may blow, but I tell the world, wherever I go, I found a Savior, and He's sweet, I know. Is there anybody here? No, God is able. Is there anybody here had a manner experience in your own situation? God delivered you from your troubles. You ought to be able to testify what manner of man is this. God raised me off of my sick bed. My testimony is what manner of man is this. Somebody here was broke last year, but God kept you in your car. What manner of man is this? Somebody lost a loved one. But you still got joy this morning. What manner of man is this? Somebody's job almost fired you. But God kept you on your job. God kept you in your right mind. God kept you with your health and strength. God kept you with food and family. God kept you with friends and finances. Why don't you say what manner? of man is this he's able to make a way out of no way he's able to pick you up turn you around place your feet on solid ground you don't mind if I call him do you you don't mind if I talk about him a minute I just feel like talking about him a minute because I know what manner of man is this. He's Adam's redeemer. He's Abel's vindicator. He's Abraham's sacrifice. He's Noah's ark. He's Moses' bush on fire. He's Joshua's battle axe. 
He's Gideon's fleece. Y'all know him, don't you? He's Samson's power. He's David's music. He's Solomon's wisdom. He's Mary's baby boy. He's James and Jude's older brother. He's Matthew's king. He's Mark's suffering servant. He's Luke's great physician. He's John's word made flesh. He's Acts coming of the Holy Ghost. He's the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. He's the blessed and the only potentate. He's the faithful and the true witness. Y'all know him, don't you? He's distinctive in supernatural capacity, superlative in sovereign majesty, exclusive in spiritual beauty, radiant in eternal splendor, matchless in supernal deity. He's the God of gods. He's the lily of the valley. He's a bright morning star. He's a way out of no way. He's a bridge over troubled water. He's a mother for the motherless. He's a father for the fatherless. He's a rock in a weary land. He's a shelter in a time of storm. Y'all know him, don't you? If you tried him and you're not ashamed to testify, if he brought you and you don't care who's looking at you, why don't you wave your hand? Say, what matter? What manner of man is this? What manner? What manner of man is this? I'm really finished now. The other day, over there in Japan, they assassinated the former prime minister. And I was listening to a podcast talking about Shinzei Abe. The Prime Minister, former Prime Minister of Japan, they assassinated him this past Friday. Shot him in the back. Shot him in the neck. And he died before he even got to the hospital. And what they were saying on the podcast was it was a political suicide. Because everybody he supported won their campaign. And so they decided to kill Shinzo Abe because they wanted to kill his influence. But what they said on the podcast was rather than killing his influence, they made him even larger. Now more people are listening to him because if they had left him alone, nobody would even know his name anymore. But because he died, he's now larger than life. One Friday on a hill called Calvary. One Friday on a hill called Calvary. They nailed his hand. They pierced him in his side. They nailed his feet. And if they had left him on the ground, everything would have been all right. But they made a mistake. And they raised him up. And when they raised him up, they heard his words and I if I be lifted up from the earth I'll draw I'll draw I'll draw all men under me and Jesus died on the cross didn't he die they thought it was all over but bright early 
Sunday morning, God raised him up. And because God raised him up, you got dressed this morning. Came to this sanctuary. You lifting your hands right now. You opening your mouth right now. Not because he's dead, but because he's alive. 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 I know he's alright. I know he's alright. I know he's alright. He walks with me. He talks with me. He tells me I am his own. And the joy we share as we tarry there, none other has ever known. Has he been good to you? Has he made a way for you? Has he opened doors for you? Has he dried tears for you? Has he answered prayers for you? Tell him thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. I know he's alright. He led them. He fed them. And then he became bread for them. Man cannot live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. If you let him, he'll direct your path. If you let him, he'll make the rough places smooth. He'll make the crooked places straight. If you let him, he will send joy bells in your soul so that people will look at you and wonder why you're so happy all the stuff going on in your life. You ought to look around and tell him, you don't know my story. You don't know what I've been through. You, 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 you don't. You don't know how many doors God has opened for me. Where I came from, all the stuff I got myself in and God got me out of, and you telling me to shout, but be quiet, don't, don't care on so much, don't make so much noise. They told that to Bartimaeus one day. The Bible says Bartimaeus hollered louder. Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. 
and our brothers are standing now and our evangelism people are in the aisles for some person or persons who are here today who can by an act of faith just exercise your faith you can become a part of the family of God God loves you so much that he sent his only son to die in your place and if you would just trust him this morning he would become savior and lord of your life but you have to make that decision these people can walk with you but they can't walk for you you have to do it now there are some things I may not know Sunday. Don't wait another week. You, you know God is speaking to you right now. You can hear his voice almost audibly. God is saying to you, you need to make a decision. You need to get in a church where you can grow and be the Christian I want you to be. And the devil is saying to you, not this Sunday, wait till next Sunday. But you may not live that long. You could die tonight without a hope in Christ. Do it today.
for his love for me. Like you. Reverend, I would come, but I didn't get a chance to get my hair done. Oh man, he's saying, I would come, but I, I, I don't have a new suit. I don't I get a chance to shave or get my hair cut. Would you prefer to go to hell groom? Or to meet the Lord Jesus with your mop all tore up? Man looks at the outward appearance. But God looks at the intent of your heart. If your heart is right, God doesn't care what you look like, where you've been, what you've done, or what you're up to. He loves you so much that he sent Jesus to die on the cross and his blood shed says not guilty. My sin, all oh, the bliss of that glorious thought. My sin, not in part, but the whole, were nailed to the cross, and I bear them no more. Praise the Lord, oh my son. She would not fall asleep until every one of us got in the house. And when, the, when we touched the porch, she knew who it was. If he walked up the stairs sideways, that was Steve. If he jumped on the porch from the ground, that was Bobby. If he tried to sneak in through the window, that was Lee. And if he slept on top of the house, that was crazy Ray. Because he knew he couldn't come in after a certain hour, so he just slept on top of the house. 
My mama said, you crazy enough to stay on top of the house? That's where you're going to stay. But she would not rest until all of us were in the house. The Lord Jesus Christ, the Spirit of God, will not rest until everybody who's supposed to be in the house is in the house. And, and then you might be saying, well, if God knows already who's going to be saved, why do we need to pray for people and evangelize people? Because we don't know. God knows who the elect are. But we don't know who the elect are. So that's why we ought to go in every hedge, every highway, and tell everybody about Jesus Christ. Because everybody talking about heaven ain't going there. Just because your name is on the roll at Lily Grove does not mean your name is on the roll in the Lamb's Book of Life. He that hath the Son has life. But he that hath not the Son has not life. And the wrath of God abides upon him. This may be your last opportunity. Thank God last night was not your last night. But you don't know what the next hour is going to bring. Yes, God is real.
Amazing guys, thank y'all. They didn't really do this very often, but that night she did this thing where, like, she asked the young people that got saved that night. I think it was like nine people that you know had accepted the Lord. Um, she put the mic to everybody to ask them, "How did you feel after that?" And so, what was funny is that I was the last one, right? And so by the time she gets to me, she puts the mic and asks me, "Like, how did you feel after that?" And all I all I could do was look at her. And I was just sobbing in front of the entire, like, youth group, right? Like, I was just sobbing, crying. Um, And she just looked at me. She said, the presence of God is all over you right now. The church prays. She prayed over me right then and there and said the words that marked my life. That is when I knew I'm home. That is when I knew this is exactly where I belong. And she just literally said, your broken heart is being healed right now. My name is Vilma Parria. I am currently 27 years old, soon to be 28. I am a wife. I've been married to the love of my life now for um, six, almost six years this year. Jonathan Parria, shout out to him. And um, I was born in Nicaragua. I came at the age of nine, and I have lived here in Maryland uh, in the Hyattsville area since. Well, could you tell us a little bit about your upbringing and if you had any relationship with Jesus at all, or what, what, what did that look like for you? Yeah, so I grew up um, in a home of um, believers. Um, in uh, my family and I at the time, my mom was pretty much raised in Catholic Rome, and so we were believers, Catholic believers, um, and I was heavily involved in ministry with my mother. I would say my mother definitely has always been sort of like a pillar of faith for me, um, she was really devoted in her faith. Like, um, as a, I remember being a young kid and going into prisons with her and, you know, um, serving the community we lived in. And so I would say that as a child, they had, um, heavy influence in you know, who Jesus is, what Jesus was, um, you know, in, in that point in my life and for my family, um, I would say my mother was definitely the, the, the most active believer or the active believer at the time. And then, I mean, I was a kid, so I would just follow her around. So I had understanding of who Jesus was. I had understanding of, you know, what he did on some level, because when you're a child, you don't necessarily understand the full depth of what Jesus has done for you. Um, so growing up, I would say from the moment, you know, obviously from birth all the way up to nine, that's what my life was. It was just, you know, being involved in ministry, being around my mom and having and having her serve and seeing her served in the community. Um, that was, I would say, one of the most vivid memories that I have of that time in my life. So tell us about the, the trans- transition moment, right? Because uh, there was obviously a moment where it became more real to you. Um, 
Could you just tell us about that moment when yeah. you encountered Jesus? Yeah. So at the age, of, so at the age of nine, I, my mother and I had to migrate to the United States. Our, my family had gone through a really hard and difficult moment where um, the only, pretty much the only way was just to come to the United States. And so, in coming, it was just literally me and my mom. So for the first time. My family family nucleus, you know, like the the closeness of my family just was broken at that point. Like my, um, you know, my father had to stay behind. My sibling, my older siblings had to stay behind. And so at this point, it was just literally me and my mom coming to a place we'd never even known before, you know. And so um, we came to this country. And obviously, when you first come to this country, it's not necessarily all rainbows and flowers. It's actually really difficult. It's hard. You cry real tears. And so... My mom literally would work day in, day out. Like, we, we, that's all, the only thing we did. I mean, I was home all the time. Like, I didn't go out. My mom was very afraid because, again, new waters. We didn't know what it was going to be like raising me here um, and just her. So, you know, like, I was home all the time. My mom would work all the time. So because of that, we didn't necessarily have, like, the involvement we had back at home. Like, it literally was a shock in many different ways, obviously. So... We did find a church that we got planted in, um, but it was, it just, for me, obviously at that point we're talking about I'm 10 and I'm entering teenage years. For me, it just became sort of like a, um, like a tradition, something that I would just do, you know, like it, this, this is just what we do. We go to church on Sundays or even the idea of special moments, right? Like we just passed um, Easter, right? So going on Easter Sunday, like th- that's just what it became. And I knew it wasn't necessarily because um, there wasn't that desire for, say, for my mother to be completely involved, but it was just because time didn't allow it. And so, um, and then for me, at that point, I don't think I had the appreciation that I had as a kid. You know, at this point, like, um, as a teenager, I'm getting now involved in, um, you know, other things, and I'm not necessarily thinking so much of, like, my relationship with God. I think at that point, I didn't even understand what that was like. I understood rules. I understood um, the concept of, you know, going to church again and like listening to a sermon, but I didn't understand relationship. And so, um, you know, like time went on and, um, I would say around like middle school years was when, um, the absence of my father affected me in ways that I did not understand until I became saved and I became, you know, a daughter of the Lord and began a relationship with the Lord. I didn't really understand that his absence would affect me to the point where, I would seek out attention and love in relationships. And so at that point around the middle school age is when I started to get involved. Obviously you're, you know, you're a little girl, you're blossoming, you're changing, little boys are paying attention to you. And I'm sort of, you know, going along with it. Again, I'm not really necessarily having much direction from a men figure personally, physically in my life. My relationship with my dad was like phone relationship. And so, um, I started to give my attention to to that, and um, from that moment, you know, there was like a shift, a sense of like, there was a sense from going from um, innocence into stepping into waters of, you know, dealing with sin and and things that given my heart out, you know, um, in ways that I shouldn't have, and that sort of opened doors to insecurity, uh, like sadness, depression, hurt, anger, um, a ton of different, you know, things that obviously didn't come from the Lord. And so that became a pattern for me. So like the concept of love, you know, and, and wanting to be loved and, and being in a relationship. And, and so in high school, um, 
I was in a relationship and it ended. And so from that moment, I found myself, um, not from that moment, but like that just added to the concept of the depression and the hurt and the, you know, lack of identity. I didn't understand. I was an extremely like insecure person. Um, I just, it was like a lot of negativity basically. And so, um, at that point in high school, it was actually junior year of high school. Um, I was at a low point in my life, like really the like the way that I can describe it is like being at the like the literally the bottom, like the bottom. The only thing I could really do at that point was like look up, right? Like I couldn't go any lower. And so um, the Lord, you know, reached me through a friend that invited me to um, actually it was a Bible study, and I had no idea this was this was, this actually was the very first time that I was around like young adult or young teens, like young teens that were chasing after the Lord in Christianity. Like I actually you know, didn't, um, like I had never seen that before. So I went to the Bible study and I'm like, wow, what is this? Right? Like people are raising their hands, they're singing, they're praising the Lord, they're, you know, uh, reading the word. And so it really caught my attention. And I think obviously there was that void, that, that need and desire to connect, um, with something bigger than myself. And so, um, from that moment, it just, I started going. And then I just remember going to a youth service. And that night wrecked my life, like literally. I um, showed up to the service and I felt like the whole night it was like daggers were being thrown at my heart. But literally like from the worship to the word to um, the ministration aspect of it, I just remember by the end of it when they were like, who wants to, the youth pastor at the time, she like said, who wants to accept Jesus? And I just remember my hand went up, you know, I'm like, I don't know what I'm doing, but I'll go ahead and raise my hand. And um, when I did, um, you know, they, they had us pray the, the sinner's prayer, obviously the repentance prayer, sorry. And um, I did it, and then they took us out, and then they brought us back in. And then um, they they didn't really do this very often, but that night she did this thing where, like, she asked the young people that got saved that night. I think it was, like, nine people that, you know, had accepted the Lord. Um, she put the mic to everybody to ask them, how did you feel after that? And so what was funny is that I was the last one, right? And so by the time she gets to me, she puts the mic and asks me, like, how did you feel after that? And all I all I could do was look at her, and I was just sobbing in front of the entire, like, youth group, right? Like, I was just... Nobody greater than you 
searched all over, couldn't find nobody. I looked high and low, still couldn't find nobody. Nobody greater, nobody greater, no, nobody greater than you. Searched all over, couldn't find nobody. I looked high and low, still couldn't find nobody. Nobody greater, nobody greater, nobody greater than you. Nobody can heal. Like you can Oh most holy one You are the great I am Awesome in all your ways And mighty is your hand You are here carried out Redemption's plan Nobody greater, body greater, Jesus. Nobody greater than you. all over. Searched all over. Couldn't find no. Couldn't find nobody. I looked high and low. Still couldn't find nobody. Nobody greater. Nobody great, nobody greater than you. Come on, lift those hands for real in here. Come on, nobody greater, nobody greater, Jesus. Nobody greater than you. Nobody greater, nobody great, nobody greater. Ten singers, and let's just give him the glory. Nobody greater, nobody greater. Couldn't find nobody, nobody greater. Nobody greater than you, nobody greater than you. I dare you lift your hand and say that with us tonight. Come on, nobody greater, nobody greater. Nobody greater, nobody greater than you. Radio, not just for your ears, but also for your spirit. I'm crying because I know God set me up, (laughs) and I'm crying because I'm in pain, I'm hurting. And I stood there, and um, they got us in line, and um, this ex-Hell's Angel guy (laughs) comes and starts praying for me. And as he lays hands on me, man, I felt electricity going through my body, and I started to sway back and forth. And then I thought he put his hand on my chest, and I thought he was pushing me. Well, first of all, this is the first time really a white man has ever laid hands on me to pray, <laughs> right? And then he's a, and I find out he's an ex-Hell's angel guy, you know, because they, they shared his testimony during service. 
And I was like, oh, heck no. So I was about to confront. I was like, you don't need to push me, man. I feel God, right? And when I opened my eyes, he's three people down. And I said, oh, no. This is, this is it. Like, I'm done. This is it. And I remember weeping. I was like, oh, no, you're real. You're trying, you're trying to, you're trying to, um, you're going to use me. My name is Chris Petrot. I'm 44 years old. Been in ministry for 27 years. I did probably 18 of those years as a youth pastor. Uh, actually, 16 of those years as a youth pastor. Last two years, I've been a family pastor, but been in student ministry uh, my whole life, it seems like, youth, middle school, high school. So, And my testimony is, you know, my family's Peruvian. Uh, my parents met here in Northern Virginia uh, at a Peruvian club, a salsa nightclub, and and fell in love with each other, uh, had me, and back then the immigration laws were if you had a child in the States, you could get your, your uh, citizenship. So, you know, I was born here, and uh, they stayed, and um, early in my life, you know, both of them were, you know, alcoholics, and, you know, we grew up Catholic, and, you know, didn't really have any spiritual spirituality in our family, uh, until we, we, we had a family that, that was part of our neighborhood that moved out. That was another Peruvian family. We were in a predominantly black neighborhood. And um, they, after a year, they came and, and got saved during that year that we didn't see them and invited us to come to Sunday school, went to a charismatic Baptist church. Uh, it was like the hotbed in Montgomery County of God moving. It was a real dynamic church. And... Um, in second grade, I led, you know, I asked Jesus into my heart. My Sunday school teacher led me. It was a pretty crucial time in my life as my parents were separated. And in service, when we were worshiping the Lord, I had a burden for my dad. I missed him. I asked the Lord, if you could, if you could uh, please give me my dad back, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll open my heart to you. And, and it kind of happened in reverse. Sunday school teacher came, laid hands on me, prayed, let me cry, asked me to receive Jesus. And right after service, my father came to church to repent to my mom and, you know, took us back home. So since second grade, I was, you know, going to church. We grew up Pentecostal. We went to an American church uh, for youth group for myself when I was a teenager. And then we went to the Pentecostal Foursquare Church in Gaithersburg. So Sundays, I was in church from like 11 a.m. to like 7 p.m., man. I, you know, it was, that's just how it was. And, you know, we, we learned to do community at our church. And, you know, uh, and one time our pastor says, hey, listen, we're part of the Foursquare denomination. Foursquare has huge Christian summer camps in the summer, you know, uh, I really think Chris and some of the youth should go. And, you know, I was kind of like, I don't know. I don't know if I want to go and give up a week of my summer to go to camp. And they were like, you know, it's in Ohio. And I'm like, where's Ohio? <laughs> you know, so it was like my first time ever getting in a car. And I remember driving for eight to nine hours. And I remember I was just like, this is terrible. Like being in a car, we're going somewhere. And then we go to this camp. And the middle of the woods, I was a city slicker. You know, you put me any hood, I'll be fine. But you put me in the woods, man. I, I'm 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 scared of crickets. I'm like I'm not. 
that's not my thing. So we go into this campground, and as our van is pooling up, we had a 15-passenger van. We pull up. Our youth group is mostly Latino and black kids. And, you know, and we roll in, and I remember it was like 300 white kids at this camp. And I was like, yo, I've never seen this many white people in my life together. And as you can imagine, as we roll in, we look completely different than everybody else. So it's like everyone wanted to be our friends. But yet we were kind of like, all right, we just, like, you know, we weren't really trusting of the atmosphere. So me and my buddy Max kind of stayed close. And, and, um, and I, had this, um, I had this guy, he was like a farmer in the Midwest. And, just, you know, he, he was definitely like what you would stereotype call like a redneck. And he was talking in this twang and following me around and just asking me questions. And I'm just like, who is this kid? And I remember he sat next to us and we had to, we had to climb up. And our campgrounds, our, cam, our cabins were down low, but we had to go up the mountain to the tabernacle, they called it. That's where we had service every morning and every night. And we, uh, I remember 300 young people gathered there, you know, a little over 300. And I remember we were doing praise and worship. And the first note, the presence of God fell on all of us. And it was the most extraordinary, extraordinary thing I've ever saw. I saw it with adults. I never saw it with youth. Presence of God falls on us. And we instantly, everyone just got baptized in the Holy Spirit. And they were speaking in tongues, some of them, but most of them were speaking in other language. And so my friend, this guy, this guy from the Midwest, this farm boy, starts speaking and telling Jesus how much he loves him in Spanish. And I start to hear it, and I'm like, oh, my God, I know he didn't take Spanish. And so you're around, and you're seeing kids cry, uh, get their hearts to the Lord, speaking in tongues. Some kids were on the ground falling, you know, and, and no one touched them. And it was just this weird, for me, it was weird but eye-opening. And I remember feeling the Lord just really start to deal with my heart. And I stood on my chair, and I started to yell. I was 12 years old. I started to yell, yes, yes, Lord, yes, whatever this is, yes. And I remember my best friend was like, get down, man. I couldn't stop yelling because I, I just, I felt like I want to see this my whole life. I don't know what this is, but I want to see this. So that happened at 12. You know, we were on fire. My, my dad came to the Lord after years of rejecting. And um, we were good until, like, my freshman year in high school. And um, my freshman year, my father fell away from the Lord, went back to alcohol, gambling, and, and uh, things got bad. My mom finally kicked him out of the house. And when my dad left the house, that's where I started to rebel against the Lord. I was very hurt. And I was hurt by my father. I was hurt that he couldn't get over alcoholism. Uh, I was hurt. He, he gambled our house away. We had no money. You know, we were finally going from poor to mid-class. And you kind of go back to just being poor again, you know. And, and, and my father wasn't a bad man. He was actually very affectionate. He was, he was very, you know, fun to be with. You know, that he just had an addiction, right? And so I just fell away from the Lord. You know, I went from being an honor roll student to just barely graduating. You know, so he left my sophomore year, not my freshman year. And so for a year, I just kind of fell away from the Lord. And that's where I started to hang out with my crew, you know. 
these, you know, the, I wouldn't say we were a gang because it was nothing organized, but we were definitely a squad. You know, we, we definitely looked for trouble. <laughs> we definitely didn't let anyone talk down to us. And, and uh, I just started hanging out with these guys. And you do, and you do the, some of the uh, illegal activity, but I never got high. I never got drunk. Even in all of this, I still remember, <laughs> you know, like, you know, I wasn't going to have sex. Um, I had a friend of mine who who died of AIDS back then. AIDS was a huge thing, and and um, and I remember thinking to myself like, "Yo, everyone's having sex, and AIDS is going around. It's not a, it's not just a gay disease. It's it's it can be trans. You know, heterosexuals can get it too. This my friend was a heterosexual kid. He was starting to have sex at eight years old. You know, so he got it from sex with females, and uh, I saw him wither away and die." And that kind of just shook me. It was like, yo, one sexual encounter can kill you, you know, besides what the, what the church says, you know. And, and, and so I would have these deep conversations within myself. Plus, I had a mother that would remind me, you know, she knew I would be going to parties and stuff. And she'd just look at me and she, you know, she's an intercessor. She'd be like, you know, Chris, if you have sex, I'm going to lose you. So every weekend when I would be going out, Friday, Saturday night, that's the last thing she'll say to me. Be safe, but just remember, if you have sex, I'll lose you. And it just kind of hit me all the time, and, and, and I just knew that I, I was like, yo, I'm not going to do this. But then, you know, what happens is during that year and a half that, you know, I fell away from the Lord, I'd still go to church every once in a while, but I knew not to get into it. I stopped going to my American church that had a youth group. I was offended with God. And um, after a year and a half, I fell into a depression, you know, and I just started to slowly see my, my heart get calloused. And I started to see that nice Chris, loyal Chris, is getting mean. He's getting dark. He's not caring as much. He's cursing. He's, he's, aggress he's very aggressive. And, and, um, and I got depressed because it wasn't who I was. And I remember finally just saying, you know what, God, this all happened because you abandoned us. And I remember blaming the Lord. And, uh, and, um, and uh, I said, you know, I'm, I'm going to go get drunk. And I'm going to go get high. And there's a girl begging to take my virginity. She's one of the girls in our crew that was just passed along. Like everybody slept with her. You know what I'm saying? She was just a good time. And she's begging because she wanted me to be her, you know. It was nothing other than she just wanted to take my virginity away and say she did that. And I remember just saying, you know, I'm going to have sex. Screw it. And that, that party was on a Sunday night. I said, I'm tired of this. I'm tired of being depressed. At that time, I'm finding things that are trying to deal with the numbness and the pain of my childhood, of my, my parents' separation. So on the eve, Saturday night, on the eve, I get a phone call from my fourth grade Sunday school teacher. He's a fourth and fifth grade Sunday school teacher. And he actually was a youth leader also. So every time I, I went up a grade in church, he would come with us. And, you know, he, you know, he's telling me, Chris, you need to come to the American church that you left. I said, why? And he goes, well, the youth are experiencing a move of God. And I was like, what's a move of God? And he goes, Chris, the Holy Spirit is touching the young people. 
and it's crazy. They are transforming their lives. They're getting rid of drugs. They're get, get, their hearts are being, you know, there's breakthrough from depression, suicide. Um, they're, they're, they're not, they're withstanding from sex. They're, now, you know, they're, they're, they're not listening to secular music. They're not doing this. They're not gossiping. You know what I'm saying? And I remember just being there like, oh, okay, whatever. And for three hours, he was like, you got to come to church tomorrow. You have to see it for yourself. And I said, no, nah, I'm not. I'm, 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 me and God are done. I'm ready. I'm ready to go to that party on Sunday night. I'm ready to indulge in the lifestyle. I'm going to fully commit to that, you know, because my boys were, became my family, right? And, um, and he talked to me. He goes, you know what, man? I'll take you to lunch afterwards. And I was like, man, for three hours you've been begging me to go to church. You could have started off that way. We didn't have to waste my whole Saturday night. And, uh, and so I said, okay, cool. And he goes, well, this is what I want you to do. I want you to get to church because there's two services. Now, this, church, this church was about, at that time, running about 35, 4,500 people. So they had two services. Oh, no, sorry. No, no, no. It was running about 2,500. So there was two services. He says, come to the end of the first service so you can hear the preaching. And then after the preaching, there's 30-minute break from first service to second service because they have to clear the parking lot. And then the second service families come. And that's important for you to know that. <laughs> and I, I said, okay. And then, after, then you stay for worship in the second service. Afterwards, you can go to youth group because youth group only happens after worship in the second service. I said, all right, man, I'll do it. And I remember coming into the building, and it was electric. There was like... It, I just remember automatically my stomach started to just bubble. Like I was like, oh, oh, God's here. I know what this is because at 12 years old, I experienced this. Um, throughout my life, I experienced, I was like, oh, crap. God's up to something. You know, Jehovah Sneaky, right? He's like, he's trying to, and I was like, nah, I'm ready to have sex. I'm ready to get drunk. I'm ready to get high. I don't, I don't need this. I need to think about the party tonight. And as I do that, I turn the corner to go to the hallway. I said, I'm going to sit in the balcony. Forget that. I see a friend, well, you know, a friend of mine, an acquaintance of mine, and he's, he's like, oh, my God, Chris Petrot. And he just starts weeping. God's going to touch you today. He's going to touch you. We called your name out two weeks ago in youth group. He's going to touch you. It's going to happen today. And he's, like, weeping. And I'm like, what the heck is wrong with this guy? Like, I'm like, we were close, but... We were like, we weren't that, I mean, we weren't, we weren't close at all. We were just friends, but he was just looking at me like that, right? And then the, the popular girls came. They're like, oh, my God, Chris, you're here. Mind you, they didn't care about me, say anything about me when I was part of the youth group because they were like the popular ones and, you know, whatever. But they were like genuinely like, you're here. We're so happy. We prayed for you. God's going to touch you. And I got weirded out, man. I was like, and plus what I was already feeling, I went upstairs to the balcony. I just stood there and the preacher was preaching a word. And I don't know what his word was, but all I could tell you is when he opened the altar to do the benediction prayer, you know, he, he prayed for the end of service and he opened the altars for prayer. It looked like 500 people got up and they ran to the altar. Like it was intense. Like he was, because my man was preaching and I felt like I was going to vomit. I was like, oh, God, like, I, I can't go up. No, 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 I'm not doing this. And so at this point, it's like 1035. So they have to clear out the church <laughs> because 11 o'clock's coming. You need, you know, the people to come, uh, the new people to come to service and have a parking spot. And it's 
1040, and he goes, you know what, guys? I, I feel like God like, is about, needs, like, one of you guys need to respond. You're playing games with God. You're depressed. You're hurt. He, and he, I mean, he was even like, you're going to do stupid stuff in the next 24 hours if you don't get with God. And I remember, I was like, is that me? And then, like, 12 people got up, and they ran to the front. And I was like, thank God it was them. And then he looked at them five minutes later. He goes, it wasn't these people that came up. You're still fighting. And I was like, oh, my God, end the service. I do not want to go up. And like, I just, then I remember just saying to the Lord, Lord, I, and then one person got up and ran. I was like, Lord, if he calls it one more time after this one person gets up, if he says it's not that person, and he calls to come for that person to come up, I know it's me, and I'll run up. Sure enough, he looked at that person. He goes, you're not it. Come up, though. Get blessed. There was one person, as soon as I heard that, something came in me. I got up, ran down the hallway, ran down the stairs, ran in the sanctuary, and I go to the front of the church, and I'm crying, and I'm angry. I'm crying because I know God set me up, <laughs> and I'm crying because I'm in pain. I'm hurting. And I stood there, and um, they got in, us in line, and um, this ex-Hell's angel guy, <laughs> he comes and starts praying for me. And as he lays hands on me, man, I felt electricity going through my body. And I started to sway back and forth. And then I thought he put his hand on my chest. And I thought he was pushing me. Well, first of all, this is the first time really a white man has ever laid hands on me to pray. <laughs> right? And then he's a, and I find out he's an ex-Hell's angel guy, you know, because they, they shared his testimony during service. I was like, oh, heck no. So I was about to confront. I was like, you don't need to push me, man. I feel God, right? And when I open my eyes, he's three people down. And I said, oh, no, this is, this is it. Like, I'm done. This is it. And I remember weeping. I was like, oh, no, you're real. You're trying, you're trying to, you're trying to, um, you're going to use me. And I started to cry. And, um. I said, Lord, if, if you touch my life right now, I'll serve you for the rest of my life. And so the story is I closed my eyes, and Holy Spirit, no one touching me, touched my heart. And the story is I flew six feet back, and I crushed, like, the front row chairs where the pastor sit. And I was out. I was out. Wait, 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 wait. You, like... I flew back, man. Wow. It was one of these services, and... and where, like, genuinely, I flew back. I didn't get hurt or anything, but they didn't catch me. I flew back. I'm out here. So I'm laying like this, and I start to feel this sensation in my, in my body from the top of my head to the bottom of my feet. I start to feel rushing cold water washing me out, and I'm weeping uncontrollably, like snot, like I'm getting a migraine. I'm, like, the tears, just the floodgates go, and I'm weeping, and I'm weeping, and I hear the audible voice of the Lord for the first time. And he says, Chris, what do you want? I said, Lord, I want my mom and dad to get back together. And I want all my street friends to know you. And I got up and, <laughs> and I went to church six times a week. Because I was nervous, no one discipled me, and I was scared I was going to lose this. So I went to, like, 
and Times Bible study. I went to prayer nights. I went to women's Bible study. I went to Friday night service, Wednesday night service, uh, the class on Acts, you know, uh, Titus, you know, prayer group. I, I did everything because I wanted to pursue God. At that point, the depression and all that left, and I needed to go after this whole thing um, of praying for my mom and dad to get back. I believed that God was supernatural that way. And it was so funny because I disappeared from my neighborhood. Everyone thought I got arrested and went to jail, my, my street friends, because I just, I just broke all communications, didn't answer. the. We had pagers back then. None of that. And I remember praying to the Lord, Lord, um, I need friends. And that guy, Mike, who cried and saw me, uh, ended up being my big brother in the Lord. Actually, I'm older than him, but he was he's just a big guy. And he and I formed a friendship. We started to serve the youth, and I was a youth leader for about eight to ten years. And all that to say, I just fell in love with the Holy Spirit. It was real. I went from being, you know, I was dyslexic. I had a stuttering problem. I had... Um, uh, dysgraphia, ADHD, uh, you know, I had all these learning disabilities. But when I got baptized in the Holy Spirit, I would read the Bible. And the Bible was the first book I understood what I was reading. And, and within a year, I read the Bible. And that was the first book I ever read in my life. You know, and as I started to read, I started to spend five hours with the Lord because, you know, I wasn't doing, you know, I wasn't running with the crew. I didn't have a job. And so I'd be praying, reading my Bible, you know, you know, praying for my family, praying for my dad. And I just spent like five hours, seven hours sometimes just reading, just praying every day. And every day I had to call my accountability partner, Mike, and we would have to tell each other, well, what's God doing? What's he doing here? What's going on here? And since he could drive, he used to drive me to church because church was like 45 minutes away. And all of a sudden, we, you know, we were just going after the presence of the Lord. And, you know, all that to just say, as I started to serve these youth pastors, uh, one of the weird things our church did, and I never understood it, is after the young people, I mean, we, we were genuinely on fire for God. We were going out evangelizing on Halloween night at Georgetown. You know, my wife led a prostitute. Well, she, she was my friend at that time. But she led a prostitute to the Lord right in front of the exorcist stairs. You know, we were just, doing, we were just like, we're going to go for it. We, there was this zeal, zealousness, you know, I, I, you know and, um, but our church, the next youth pastor, our youth pastor leaves to go get a senior position at another church in Tennessee, and our church hires, uh, hires a guy that doesn't believe in the gifts. And it kind of quenched it, even though he really loved the youth. It kind of quenched that whole thing. And our youth group went from being on fire for God a year later, like five to seven girls got pregnant. <laughs> you know, it was just there wasn't that real mentorship in the presence of God. Uh, and so I served this guy. I love this guy. You know, we I battled this guy all the time, trying to get back to his presence and you know, I was a little arrogant guy, you know, hard to deal with. Um, but I loved his presence. I'm, to me, it was like, we got to go for his presence. That's it. It's everything right there, you know. I read the Bible, guys. I'm in love with my Bible because the Holy Spirit possessed me, you know. And so all that to just say, as we're starting to move ahead, you know, for 
you know, he resigns and then they invite another guy and he's like a five-point Calvinist and you're just kind of like, what are we doing? Are we a spirit-filled expression or what? But you know what? It, it, taught me, it taught me how to honor leaders that I necessarily didn't agree with, you know, or vehemently didn't agree with. I had to learn to honor, and that, was, that would be a, a staple in whatever I was going to do. So after those two guys, um, I, I, you know, after this guy, I, I, I got bitter with God, and I was like, man, I'm tired of going after revival. I'm tired of, you know, all this, you know. And, um, you know, I started dating my wife, and, and, uh, and we courted, and we were about to get married. <laughs> and my friends, Mike and a bunch of my friends, they throw us a surprise engagement party like a month after we got engaged. And I was like, I just remember just walking in a room, and I see my whole church family, and I see my dad and my mom. And I'm like... Everyone's like, surprise. And I'm like, why are you surprised? I was like, Dad? I was like, what are you doing? Like, it was so weird to see your, my father with my church family. That night, my parents fell back in love after 18 years of divorce. And, you know, 12 years ago, I walked my mom down the aisle and she remarried my father. And, you know, which taught me that you could get divorced here, but that's not the life call. You know, you know, you know, God's not a respecter of man. And, and, and so he redeemed my family. So remember, he said, what do you want? When I was filled with the Holy Spirit, my dad's back. And then he's then in the last 10 years from the time I got up that floor, we led all my friends from the street to the Lord. And I actually youth pastored a lot of their kids. And so I started to see that one, God answers prayers. God is powerful, Right. And, 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 and that we are to establish that authority here on earth as it is in heaven. I started to get with like-minded people like that. And, and again, you know, we, we, we you know, I, I, so fast forward or rewind back to I'm serving these guys, I'm, uh, you know, these youth pastors. I finally give up on youth ministry because I'm going after revival. I don't see it anymore. I get offended with God. And so two things happen. I start working security at the church because <laughs> I had a full-time job. I was working in Langley Park. I was mentoring inner-city kids. I was, you know, I actually felt like I was their pastor. So I was like, this is my church. This is my sanctuary. The hood is my sanctuary. And I had mentored 50 of the worst drug dealers in Langley Park. They respected me. I was the safest guy. My, my car, no one touched my car. No one broke into it. I could go anywhere in Langley Park. And if beef was there, it would subside because I was a guy that was helping these guys get jobs, uh, social, uh, I mean, what do you call it, uh, service hours for, you know, for, for court and all that other stuff. And um, so I thought that was it. Well, this woman who was a prophet in our church comes up to me and she goes, Chris, this time next year, you're going to be the next youth pastor. And I laughed. I was like, I ain't coming to work in here, man, you know. And, you know, all this bitterness, like, look what they did to the move of God. This church says they want revival. You know, I'm being young, dumb, and, and, you know, I'm just, you know. And she's like, no, God told me. So I'm like, whatever. Then my father-in-law, so at this point, my wife's pregnant, six months pregnant. If we didn't have a boy the Patrat last name would die. So we're six months pregnant. And when we got pregnant, I told my wife, I was like, Beth, what about Josiah? 
Josiah built, means builder of new things and keeper of the flame. If you know the story of Josiah in the Bible, eight years old becomes a king of Israel, and as a teenager in his reign, he tears down all the strongholds, all the high places of idol worship. He's a builder of new things. My family, was we were breaking generational curses, and now Josiah, and all this from this point on, we're going to be living in generational blessing. So we know that we were going to call him Josiah. We found out as a boy. We were like, yes. And I'm still disheartened with church. And my father-in-law invites me to a conference in Harrisburg, Pennsylvania. I go to this conference. It's called Firestorm. And there was, there was, there, you know, there was a speaker on a Friday night. As soon as I walk into the church, I feel like a fish out of water. I felt like I didn't belong there. I'm wearing like $500 Jordans. I'm streeting it. You know, I look like a street cat, you know, and I go in. And the church is primarily, it's primarily white, right? And, and it's cool because they got smoke machines coming out of the, the sanctuary. They had the lights. They had the screens with the worship lyrics on it. And if they sung about the river of God, well, they'll be showing a movie of this, 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 this group of people, white water rafting, right? And it was just like, it was like ADHD heaven, right? Because I was just like, what the heck is going on here? But I remember feeling like I don't, I, I believe the lie of the devil. I don't belong here. And the speaker was a crazy guy who I'm now, he's very, uh, he's very flamboyant. <laughs> uh, but I'm, I, I know him now. But, and he was just doing crazy stuff. Like people were getting drunk with the Holy Ghost. And, and you know, he would take their socks off. And start doing this, right? And just throw their shoes out. He would, you know, he'd cackle and laugh. And, and I was like, what is this? This is so weird. And then I felt like he was trying to pray for me, but I would go to the one end of the church. Because I was like, yo, you can't throw my sneakers out. Like, like them jokers are going to get jacked. And, uh, and he would follow me, and I, I, and I would leave him, and I'd go to the other side. I was like, man, this joker's following me. Needless to say, that night, I was heartbroken. I was like, is this really a revival? Uh, and, and, and to a degree it was. There was an outpouring happening, but I was just very critical because it didn't look like me. And I remember just being heavy-hearted, and my father-in-law says, hey, Chris, I know it was hard for you. You know, I just ask you this. Stay the night. Tomorrow morning, come see, hear this one guy preach. And um, if you don't like it, then we'll just go home. And I was like, well, yeah, I'll stay. You know, he did, you know they paid like o almost 100 bucks for us to go. So I was like, I'm, you know, I'm going to respect my in-laws. So that morning I get up and I go with Bethany and my in-laws to this, to this morning session of this conference. And um, there's a man by the name of Lou Engel who's speaking. And all I know is that when he opened his mouth, everything inside of me shook. And I just started to weep. And he was talking about uh, the abortion issue and what God placed on his heart about overturning that. And, he, you know, he was talking about revival. And he was talking about all these things. And I remember just my heart leapt. And I was like, yeah, I can get behind that. Yeah, yeah, we, we need to do, we need to, there's something on that. And I, I dedicate, you know, my life, I'm, like, I'm dedicating my life to follow this guy. And I just remember just like seriously just being impacted. And as I was weeping, you know, and I'm just at, and at that point, I was like, God, forgive me of my racist heart. 
God, forgive me of these things. I was bitter. I was upset. And I'm getting my heart right. I'm crying. And then Lou Angle goes, you know what this generation needs? It needs the Josiahs to come forth. And at that time, I fell out of my seat just weeping, knowing that my wife was six months pregnant with Josiah. And I did. I, that, that was my introduction until revival culture. And I followed Lou and, and everything he did. Um, and I, you know, prayed for the ending of abortion. Uh, you know, I went, I went to those extremes because I was so alive in it. But then I started to realize that the abortion issue is a racist issue. And God started to show me that it was a way to take out the, Latin, the black and Latino voice in this nation. And I started to go after racism. And I was like, Lord, how can I go after racism? And I opened, I, and I said, you know what we need? Racism is a hard issue. We need to stop talking about it, and we need to just get in the same room and experience God. And the Lord will do it. And so I said, you know what? I'm going to start a ministry. And I started to go into a season of having these dreams where there would be a lion and he'd be roaring in my face. And it happened like three or four times. And then my friends that I would invite to preach at our youth services would be preaching. And all of a sudden they turn around and be like, oh, Pastor Chris, the Lord says you're going to raise an army of 10,000. He's roaring over you. I was like, what the heck is this? I was at an all-night prayer thing, and the last vision I had was a lion came up to me, roared in my face, and 10,000 young people got up behind me. And I said, okay, Lord, I'm going to start the ministry, The Roar, Regional Outpouring Awakening Reformation. We're going to gather, we're going to experience the kingdom of God, but then we're going to reform culture. I think sometimes the church gets stuck on just revival and encounter. We don't get going past that to reforming culture. And as I was praying, uh, we launched a, uh, eight and a half years ago, we launched the Roar. It was, a, it was a Saturday night service. It was regional, and young people would come. Uh, that's where I met uh, Prophet Jordan Bryce, you know, and, and we're experiencing God, and God's touching our worship. You know, it was just amazing time. And then I said, you know what, five years ago, let's, let's do a camp. And so the camp that I had in my heart was what I experienced as a 12-year-old kid. But I said, with this camp, let's raise money to make sure any inner-city kids, because at that time I'm preaching in New Jersey, Connecticut, New York City, Washington, D.C., let's make it so that these kids from the inner city can go. And that's what we did. We did camps uh, and God showed up. And some of the most extraordinary testimonies of these kids in our ministry, um, some of them ch changed my belief system on angels. <laughs> um, we had a camp where 95% of the camp, which is about 120 kids, all went to heaven. <laughs> yeah. Uh, they could see angels. Uh, we had um, we had a camp where we were the year before camp we were going after mental illness uh, and people were getting healed of bipolar schizophrenia suicide depression you know and these are mostly all Latino and black kids and I started to realize that you know what we I need to build a bridge to our church national movement 
and start letting these kids know that, hey, you have a voice in that too. And we, we, we just, it just, things just started to blow up there. And the Lord has given me a vision for 10,000 harvesters in 10 cities to go after a million souls. I don't know how that's going to work, but that's what's been in my spirit. And that's what I've been praying for. I do know that I'm not using social media <laughs> to be a platform for this because I believe God's going to do it on his own. And so we're kind of just organizing it. So I went from a broken kid with a broken family, seeing restoration in my family, see, and seeing myself be able to influence broken kids and giving them a way out. What I feel like God's called me to do is to provide that experience I had as a 12-year-old for all these kids. And as we're raising you know, four kids of our own, we have three that are teenage boys. Our, my last one's 11. She's a, my diva, Bella. And um, we're raising revivalists. And so we, we're kind of like, we're going to look forward to raising them as children. We're going to invite them into, in, uh, you know, into the table and encounter. And we're going to not fret when they're teenagers. And we're going to raise them and, and, and enjoy that. You know, I think a lot of times we as parents speak, de- you know, death to kids. Oh, my God, I have a female teenager. Pray for me. I feel like that is, that is giving the enemy an outcome and not God an outcome when God created them to go through these things. But a lot of it is, are we as parents willing to do work to have that connection with our kids? And so I have, my oldest is a, is a, all my kids are special. They love Jesus. And my oldest, uh, at five years old, started to have crazy encounters with God. And I'll share one testimony, but uh, we, uh, we, um, I, what I would do in youth ministry is I would partner with my spiritual father, who I call him, he's like a glory equipper. <laughs> you know, he just, you know, he, he could just teach on the Holy Spirit and the glory like no other. And we would rent a huge beach house in the Outer Banks. And what we would do is we would take 30 kids of our youth group and we would call it Holy Ghost Week, where in the mornings we'd biblically teach them what the Bible says about our belief in the Holy Spirit and why it's important. And in the evening, in the house, we would have worship and they would, you know, we would encounter what we read in the morning. And there was crazy stuff happening, healings, you know, kids getting on fire for the Lord. Well, one year we needed to rent two big beach houses because it was just too big. And we actually had a worship team this year that was being developed. And so we were like, hey, why don't we call around and, and see if there's like some church that would give us their youth building on night, you know, on the nights, you know, so we could have service there. And so we did. We called the church, and we called an Assemblies of God church, and the youth pastor was new. And he said, man, listen, of course, thanks for calling. You could use it Monday, Tuesday, but Wednesday, can you preach, and could your team do worship for our youth? I said, uh, sure, no problem. So that Wednesday night we go, and we're just sound checking, and we're getting the room prepared and two of my spiritual sons find diamonds in the ground er, and jewels. And I was like, what the heck? Would you? And so they gave it to me. And I was like, well, they look real. I don't know if they're real. 
and I called the youth pastor, and I was like, hey, we, we just found, like, two rubies and two diamonds on the floor. You know, we're just, you know, don't know if it's... He's like, hey, man, I just vacuumed that the other night. That's that's not ours. That like that that might be God. And I was like, what? And uh, so I was kind of weirded out. I didn't think anything of it. I remember afterwards, we're going to take this to a jeweler. Uh, and... Uh, and um, and then all of a sudden, the room started to get foggy. And I was like, well, where's the smoke machine? You know, there was no smoke machine. It's like the presence of the Lord as we were praying and sound checking already started to fall. Well, time comes for the kids to be dropped off by their parents. And they're getting out of the car and they're falling out in the Holy Ghost. So we had to run out and start dragging the kids in. And then the parents were like, well, if God's here, we're not leaving. So the youth room is packed with parents and kids. And I'm like, God, I'm like, what's going on? What are you doing? So all of a sudden, presence of God starts with the worship. And I see a young lady with a cast from her hip all the way to her foot. And she's depressed and she's got crutches. And you could just tell that she's in a lot of pain. And so my spiritual son goes, hey, I want to go pray for her. And I was like, I'll go with you. And we're, so we ask her, you know, it's, it's kind of loud. We're like, what happened? And she goes, well, um, I'm, I'm a soccer player. It's my senior year. And after practice, I got hit by a car and it broke two bones in my leg. Doctor said I can never play sports again. I have a rod from my hip all the way to my foot. And she started to touch where the bolts and nuts and bolts were. And I remember just praying. I was like, well, can we pray for you? We believe God can heal you. And I'm, you know, I have no faith in my prayer, right? So I remember just laying, laying hands and Sean is praying and he's going after it. And I promise you, I start to feel heat come out of my hands. This is the first time this happened. And I was like, my God, my hand's on fire. And I started to feel her nuts and bolts dissolve. And as it starts to dissolve, she starts to yell. Ah, and I'm like, oh my God, we just hurt her. What is going on? And she's like jumping up and down. She's like, my leg is on fire. And she rips the cast off and she starts being able to bend. She got completely healed. And it was like, I was like, holy cow, what is going on? So I call my wife and I was like, Beth, I got to tell you something. She goes, no, I got to tell you something. And I was like, oh, okay, ladies first, right? And she goes, listen, Josiah was in his playroom watching Little Einstein. He turned it off, and he went to the living room and sat, in the, sat on the chair. I go, okay. So I'm cooking dinner, and 15 minutes later, he comes up to me, and he tells me Jesus told him to turn off Little Einstein and go to the sofa because he was going to take him to heaven. And I said, well, what did Josiah see? That's what my wife asked him. So what did you see when you were in heaven? She goes, Mommy, mommy, I saw dad and Uncle Sean, and they were taking a stick out of a girl's leg. <laughs> and I was like, and then my wife goes, well, what did you want to tell me? And I was like, oh, man, you just stole my thunder. I was exactly what I was going to tell you. So we're having these types of encounters in our home. And I start to realize that the most crucial thing on earth is family and that if we can make our living room a living room with the holy spirit that we could start to encounter 
God, not only in church, not only in revival conferences, but at home where it's supposed to be. You know what I'm saying? And, and so that's what my, I gave my heart. So when I resigned from youth ministry, my wife and I wanted to be family ministers because now we want to teach parents how to disciple your young person in the Holy Spirit. And that's my testimony. From a broken home to seeing God redeem it and God use it to now, I, I get it. God sent his only son to an orphan planet to reveal the Father. And it's all about family. And that's it. If you could um, encapsulate what Jesus has done in your life, mm -hmm. what can you say he has done in your life? Well, he has he's healed my body. I was born with bad kidneys, so I have physical healing. Uh, my kidneys are amazing. Um, he has delivered me from depression um, and and anxiety. You know, he has he has made he's healed my mind. My mind renewed isn't just a thought or that I that I caught. My mind being renewed is he healed my ADHD. He let me understand what I'm reading, and and he showed me that he was always there. And I, and 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 there are times, you know, I could see myself where I'm confident in the thing of God, the things of God. You know, I'm confident in what He's done in my life, um, and a lot of that has come from the way the Lord has loved me. He's allowed me to learn from mistakes. I feel like we try to have church with no mistakes. Then we do, we have a church that won't be wise because if you learn from your mistakes it's wisdom and so i was able to learn that how much he loved me just the way i am he didn't want me to change for anything you know and 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 that's what the lord has done for me but he's given me purpose and vision and he's partnered with me the whole way song.